Hey everyone, happy Valentine's Day. It is indeed February 14th, 2024. And, you know, I wanted to come on here and and talk about why I like certain ships, you know, from certain shows and, and stuff. And I've, and I've, of course, probably talked about these a lot. And there's no doubt that Everyone likes these ships as well because it's just it's just the unusualness about them, you know, that even if you don't think they're official or even if there are hints that hey there might be something there, it's still kind of interesting to to look at them and say, Yeah, that could work. That could work. So with that said that said Let's take a look at some of these ships, shall we? Now, if you don't see, first of all, now, if you don't see, you know, the pictures kind of coinciding, you know, with each other in the timestamps, I do apologize. You know, that's what happens when you use things like Windows Movie Maker. But I'm going to try my best. Again, I do apologize if some of the images that I may use don't coincide. But with that said, let's get into... Uh, let's get into the uh, video, shall we? So let's talk about one of my personal favorites that I've been very adamant about. And I'm not the only one, surprisingly. And that's from the Scooby-Doo franchise, mostly in the early to mid-80s. That being Shaggy and Daphne. Now, there's no doubt that throughout the history of Scooby-Doo, it's always been associated that Daphne would be with Fred and Velma would be with Shaggy. But I think ever since they did the all-new Scooby-Doo, Scrappy-Doo show, and then converted it to the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries, and then converted that into the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, that this pairing has been very popular with a lot of fans. I mean... When you look at some of the recent movies in the past decade, of course, that they've done, you know, as direct-to-video, you can kind of see that even though that Warner Brothers, you know, that worked on the show in the Hanna-Barbera division, kind of acknowledged that, yeah, this is a ship that fans like. I mean, let's not forget that one musical uh, movie they did. They had that musical number at the beginning. Who popped up in the sunroof or through the sunroof to join Scooby and Shaggy singing? Daphne. Daphne. And what do people like me do with that image, that screenshot? We edit out Scooby because we know, oh, look, it's just Shaggy and Daphne. It's because of the fact, because of the fact that people love this ship. And again, those that work on the Scooby-Doo franchise, whether it's an animation or comic book form, acknowledge this as well. As a matter of fact, I don't know if it was a recent comic last year during Halloween or in previous years, but there was a Halloween-related variant cover for a Scooby-Doo uh, comic by DC that had Shaggy, Daf- uh, Shaggy dressed up as Daphne, and oh, by the way, Daphne dressed up as Shaggy. I mean, come on. You know, there's just too much, you know, evidence, too much Easter egging there, if you will, when it comes to, you know, alluding to the fact that even those that are in charge of the franchise, those that write for the franchise, you know, draw and, you know, animate for the franchise, this is too much evidence and Easter egging not to acknowledge that they know how popular this franchise is as well. I mean, look at Legend of the Phantasaur. Who helps Shaggy out? Daphne. It's just, it's just too much. It's just too much, if you will, uh, evidence to not allude to the fact or acknowledge the fact that they know. And if they know, it makes you wonder, why don't they just go out and make it happen? Even if it's a direct-to-video movie that takes place in an alternate universe. Like you have what's known as the prime versions of the Mystery Inc. gang meet up with alternate versions of them. You know, in another dimension, but in this dimension, instead of, you know, Fred being with Daphne, it's Shaggy with Daphne. Kind of play on that. At least give the fans something. You know, at least give the fans something. And then something else I want to point out, too. I have the Hanna-Barbera Cartoons Encyclopedia by DK Books. You know, I'm sure they've updated this, you know, book as well. But they have this group image. 
And the only Scooby-Doo characters outside of Scooby and maybe Scrappy that are in there, you know, next to each other, the only Scooby-Doo characters are Shaggy and Daphne. So even when that image was made, and I'm sure that image was probably made in the early 80s, early to mid-80s, even they knew, even they acknowledged that, yeah, this pairing might be one that fans like, if not do like. So to me... I I sympathize with that, and I think a lot of us guys, you know, in one you know at one time or another, a lot of us guys view ourselves in Shaggy's role. A lot of us look at Shaggy as being, you know, the guy that you know wants to be with the girl next door, and the girl next door in this case is Daphne. I mean, it's kind of like the Peter Parker MJ situation, right? Some interpretations of Spider-Man have Mary Jane right next door to him, literally as the girl next door. So, it really, it really makes you, you know, sympathize, you know, with Shaggy as you know, as you wanted to be that person in his place. And the same with Daphne. Maybe, you know, because you. Mu- Maybe because you are good looking and everything and attractive to other guys and maybe girls, you know, maybe you feel more comfortable around somebody that's not so good looking or not so equally good looking and attractive. Maybe you're more comfortable around someone that's just average, like a shaggy, or someone that's weird and unique, like a shaggy, you know. And I think that's why fans like this dynamic because Daphne feels like she'd be willing to go that route. She'd be willing to, you know, be with someone like Shaggy, you know, no matter what the situation, you know, period. And again, this is why fans, even to this day, support this ship. And I think the louder this support gets, those that work on the shows and the movies and the comics start acknowledging it more and more and more. So hopefully maybe down the line it will result in something that fans might enjoy. Again, they could do something to where if they do a direct-to-video movie, maybe they do a comic story, if you will, that has them in an alternate universe. But instead of, like I said, Daphne being with Fred, she's with Shaggy. You know, kind of it would kind of give us something as a sort of official acknowledgement. But. Overall, you know, I've always liked this ship because it's it's cute, it's adorable, and it's something I don't think any fans, especially when the franchise began in 1969, ever thought would happen because they were so accustomed to Shaggy being with, you know, Shaggy being paired with Velma and Daphne with Fred. But what's interesting is some people point this out uh, in various YouTube videos and maybe some here on Rumble or wherever wherever else you're going to see and hear this. Uh, you know, some people do associate the fact that there are moments in the new Scooby-Doo movies, in the new in the Scooby-Doo show, if you will, where it seems like maybe there's something there between Shaggy and Daphne, or maybe the fact that at times Shaggy's the one that always has to pull Daphne away from a situation because she's not moving along with the rest of them, or something like that. Point is, you know, point is, no matter how you might feel about it, a lot of fans, probably more so than any other ship I'm going to talk about here, a lot of fans would love to see this happen, love to see this become reality, and I think eventually it will, because the stronger the support gets, the more, you know, Warner Brothers and the Hannibal Bear divisions in the comics, you know, at DC and animation, the more they will listen, the more they acknowledge it. But yeah, I just I just find it I just find it unique, cute and adorable and 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 to me very believable, very believable. But that's just my take on that ship. Now, we're going to get on to the next one. Another one of my favorites when it comes to, you know, Valentine's Day like, you know, ships is one I talked about recently too. And that of course is Dale and Gadget from Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Now, now, I know some people might say, well, there was nothing really officially made, Brian. And that's true. That is true. But, but, if we take a look, like I mentioned in that previous video, and I will link that here. If we look at all the moments, all the hits, all the Easter eggs in Chippendale Rescue Rangers, you cannot tell me without one shadow of a doubt, you cannot tell me that Disney wasn't planning to go in that direction. Because they were. 
In fact, I've said this on numerous occasions that I truly believe had Disney's Movie Tunes division been able to go, you know, with, you know, been able to go with what they originally planned, and that's do theatrical films based on some of the Disney Afternoon properties, I have no doubt in my opinion, you know, my opinion, I have no doubt that they probably had they been able to do a rescue ranger movie like they were planning that they would have added, that they would have put this ship together officially in the movie i have no doubt i have no doubt in my opinion and why do i feel that way because when you look at the series itself there was just like i said it was just too much evidence i mean let's take a look at catteries catteries not included you know the moment where Dale, uh, chip kind of got gadgeted into a flirtatious mood was he able to take advantage of it? No. Who did? Dale. Did Gadget object? No. She allowed it to happen. Why? Because I think she has a, I think she has more of an attraction, more of an amenity for Dale, if you, if you catch my drift. More of an amenity for Dale, if you catch my drift. And what does he do? What does he do? He kisses her on the arm. She doesn't mind it. And he's about to kiss her right on the face or the cheek or something like that until Chip pulls him away. And was she stopping him? No. No, she wasn't. And then, let's take a look at Dale beside himself. Now, of course, there's that moment in there where she thinks it's the real Dale, but it's not the real Dale. You know, she's not aware that it's a shape-shifting alien posing as Dale. You know, because of his odd behavior of wanting to be clean and everything. You know, and what does she do? She basically tells him, oh, we don't want you to overwork yourself and everything. And then she says, hey, come sit by me. And what kind of look does she give who she thinks is Dale at that time? I mean, come on. Even with a fake Dale, it's like too obvious. And then when they do get the real Dale back, she hugs him and, you know, very tightly and she puts her leg up. Now, some might say, oh, that's, you know, that's just a common thing, right? Oh, no, no, no. No. Usually when that happens, that means there's something more between those characters. Or there's, more, there's something more affectionate than just friendship between them. Now, that's just my opinion. This is my theory. But, you know, it's obvious. Anytime you have a, a ship or a romance happen, you know, that occurs. I mean, take a look at freaking Chicken Little from Disney. One of the most, you know, one of the most uh, underwhelming box office bombs. Take a look at Chicken Little, shall we? What happens there? Just when the world looks like it's about to end, he kisses Ugly Duckling, standing, telling her he's always found her somewhat, you know, somewhat attractive or something like that. And what happens when he kisses her? Her leg goes up. I mean, come on, seriously. Seriously, what more evidence do you need? And again, that's just my theory. This is my, spec my theory, my opinion. But you have that. You have carpet snaggers. I mean, where he catches her after she falls, after she uh, fall, um, loses her grip on a pearl of a necklace, a pearl of necklace she's using as a rope to climb down because of the wind going from one carpet to another. You know, and the way she says, "Golly, thanks, Dale." I mean, come on. I mean, come on. And then again, if that's not enough, and as I've mentioned many times before, what about Double O Chipmunk? Double O Chipmunk, and even the episode before that, Song of the Nightingale. Come on, seriously. She could have chose Chip. She could have chose Monterey to be the test co the co test pilot, if you will. Or the, yeah, the co test pilot with her. But who does she choose? Dale. Who does she hug at the end when she says, "We're the ones that were crazy, crazy about you." Who does, who does she hug? Dale. I mean. <laughs> Who, and who's the one that's more upset about what happens to Dale in uh, The Last Leprechaun or whatever it's called? Gadget. Gadget's the one more upset. And if that's not enough, again, double old chipmunk. Gadget did not have to go out of her way the way she did to make him feel better. But she did. Even when she was a little upset that he dropped a smoke bomb in a workshop, you know, basically smoking the entire headquarters, was she, you know, told, was she mad at him like the rest of her or like Chip was? No. She actually appreciated and respects the fact that, oh, wait a minute, Dale's just as inventive and creative as I am. You know, she was, she was appreciative, she was respectful at the fact that, oh, Dale's just as inventive and creative as I am. Because he took an average tuxedo that he probably had and basically rigged it with all this, you know, gadgetry that, you know, she's known to do. You know, she's known for. 
But yet here he, here he is, Dale, the goofball, the comic relief, showing that, hey, he has an inventive side. And if that's not all, what does she do? You know, what does she do after Dale, you know, basically goes back into the house feeling, you know, sorry for what he did. Basically, you know, acknowledging that with even sleep he'd messed that up. What does she do? She looks at his tuxedo, tears come out of her eyes, and she's like, if he wants to be a super spy, I'm going to help him. And, bo- and I can tell you, boy, does she help him. Boy, does she go out of her way to help him. And she didn't have to do that. She didn't have to do that unless she could relate with him and unless there was something more there between them, if not more so now than ever, because they have something in common. And if that's not enough, let's take a RoboCat. RoboCat. Who's the one that's more supportive of Gadget wanting to give the uh, mechanical robot cat, you know, a second chance? You know, at least a, an, an attempt to, you know, be nice or something like that. Who's supportive of her? Gat, uh, Dale. Who wants to help her out trying to restore him? Dale. I mean, come on. There's too much evidence. Too much. You know, too much evidence. And it's... It's like, you know, I, I just I just don't get why fans do not see that. I mean, obviously, again, going back to my theory, my speculation, back in the early 90s when the Movie Tunes division was planning to turn all the, you know, turn some of the Disney afternoon shows into theatrical films, including Rescue Rangers, you know, obviously they saw it because I think that's what they were leading up to. But we never got it. We never got it. And then when you look at the Lonely Island Boys um, satire take, if you will, uh, meta satire take on Rescue Rangers with their movie a couple years ago, which was good, you know, obviously they knew about something between them because they made it obvious or hinted at the fact that these two, along with Zipper, kept a very close friendship, you know, outside of the show. So it's obvious it's obvious that even if they know it and they're willing to add that in, it's like, come on, seriously. Seriously. Who, who are basically the deniers kidding? Who are the deniers ki- kidding, okay? There's just too much evidence. Too much evidence to support the fact that it was going to happen. To support the fact that it was going to happen had things gone correctly, or at least happen in a way that we would be uh, that would be unexpected. I mean, let's be honest. Too much evidence, too much moments. Well, you know, they were all there. I mean, let's take a look at one thing I put up here on the YT, I put up on the YT on YouTube. I put on there a secret pro and D. I put a clip, about a five-second clip, called, and I entitled it a pro D and G moment. Now, why would I say it's a secret pro and D and G moment? Because it's from the episode of Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. And what happens after Gadget rewires the metamorphosizer of Nimnols? What does she do? After she says she's done it, and then says, you know, that you know the electronics were kind of simple. What happens? It lets off a spark, and she jumps back. And who does she jump back into the arms of? Does she jump back into the arms of Chip? No. Does she jump back into the arms of, you know, uh, Monterey? No. She jumps into the arms of Dale. That's who she jumps into the arms of. And people have said that sometimes, you know, a woman, no offense, all due respect, no offense, will jump into the arms of someone she feels more safe around. And apparently some people feel she's more sa- she feels more safe and secure around Dale. So it's obvious, in my opinion, just even with that, that they were hinting at this. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it, in my opinion. Now, could I be wrong? Yeah, sure, because everybody could be wrong in their theories and opinions. You know, and everybody has a right to their opinions and theories of who they want Gadget to be shipped with. I'm not denying that. But to me, and to many fans, this was the most obvious ship that Disney was going to go with. And whether people want to admit that or not, again, I, I, I suggest, if you take the time, if you want to take the time, go and look at the clues. Look at the clues that are out there. Look at what, you know, Disney provided, you know, with this show. And tell me they weren't planning to do that. Tell me they weren't planning to do something like that. But that's just my theory. That's just my thoughts. And overall, I, I like it. I just like the chemistry the characters have between each other. And that's just, but hey, that's just me. 
That's just me. I like the chemistry. I like how they work off each other. They complement each other. It's it's just so it's so apparent that Disney wanted to do something more with them. You know, in the future, you know, they just never got the chance. But that's just my theory. You know, that's just my theory. That's just my opinion. Now, with that said, let's move on to the next one. Let's talk about another favorite of mine, and this is obviously a favorite for a lot of folks, and that is Sonic and Sally. I mean, come on. It was obvious I was going to put them on here. And look, I get that a lot of fans, those that didn't really watch Satayam when it came out because they may have not been born at that time and they're probably still catching up on it via Paramount Plus and here on YouTube, which, oh, by the way, one of the uh, Sonic YouTube uh, Wild Brain channels actually has up-converted, upgraded most of, the se- most of the series, if not all of it, to 1080p. And somebody outside of that, has also up-converted most of the series, if not all the series, to 4K. And I highly suggest checking those out. Highly suggest checking those out. Um, and you can find them here on YouTube, or find them on YouTube, depending on where you watch this. But, yeah, I know that some fans that were born after Satayam, and like I said, are catching up on it, and born after the comics by Archie were released, I understand that generation may not, you know, find the Sonic and Sally dynamic, you know, interesting or, you know, believable because, oh, it's not part of the games. And look, that's your opinion. That is your opinion. But let's be honest. Every franchise, when it begins, whether it's in comic books or even video games, they need iconic, you know, romances. I mean, heck, Super Mario Brothers pretty much has that twice, if not triple, if you catch my drift, from you know Mario and Peach to Luigi and Daisy to heck Yoshi and Birdo, so you know so come on seriously, you know you should understand that even with Sonic he needs you know a romance involved in the franchise, and there's no doubt romance has been involved in a major part of the franchise overall, not just with Sonic but with a lot of characters, but with Sonic and Sally to me they set the standard. They set the standard from the very first issue of the Archie book, which started at the Sonic miniseries, issues 0 to 3. And then when the series got picked up as an ongoing series, it just grew and grew and grew. And the Satyam cartoon, of course, didn't falter from this either. I mean, you want to talk about moments in that show. It's like, yeah, just go from season 1 to season 2, look through, through the episodes, and yeah, you'll see moments. Believe me, you will see moments. Especially the ending, which I really appreciated. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, I don't know what else I could say that I and others haven't said about it. It's like, this is a pairing that really plays off each other. I mean, you want to have a, I mean, if you want to have a believable romance, even in a show based on a video game with anthropomorphic characters, this is one of them. It is. I mean, she's the perfect foil for Sonic and vice versa. I mean, they play off each other very well. I mean, I I look at Sonic and the Secret Scrolls as a good example. You know, when, you know, Sally's telling him, you know, hey, we would have, you know, we would have, you know, fell off the cliff, we would have been flying. Or gone off the cliff, we would have been flying. And Sonic's like, yeah, you get a good point. But then he asks, where would you land? And then Sally's like... Oh, good point. And then when she thanks him for, you know, basically saving him, he plays off of her saying, for what? You know, because he, he's expecting her to thank him right away, but then she's like, you know, trying to, trying to defer or trying to, you know, uh, make her, uh, you know, her point right. And then he points out, oh, yeah, that's true. You got, what, you got, you're right in that aspect, but what about landing? You know, so they play off each other very, very well. And I think that's why fans like him because, you know, it's very believable. You know, the, the the chemistry is, you know, very real, in a sense. Now, when it comes to the comics, yeah, the romance was there. And, yeah, it had its ups and downs. It had its trials and errors. There's no doubt. I mean, 134 is something that a lot of fans, you know, <laughs> thankfully, you know, are glad the soft retcon and reboot pretty much has erased from existence. Even though as fans, we pretty much have it physically in our hands uh, to go back to and read almost any time we want, if we want to. But yeah, a lot of fans are like, yep, this never happened now. This never happened. Thank God. But unfortunately, it also meant that, well, 
you know, the relationship was kind of thrown out the window by, you know, by Ian Flynn. Although a lot of fans feel that he could have done something there to kind of put him back together, even in the soft reds kind of reboot. But it felt like he was leaning more towards Sally and Nicole, which, you know, in today's day and age, honestly, whether you're a fan of LGBTQ or not, pretty much, you know, is to be expected in these kind of, um, I guess you could say, environments. But, but outside of that, the chemistry between these two is just, you know, unfathomable. It is just, it is just so, you know, believable, so realistic, in my opinion. You know, the banter they have off each other. It's just, it's just great. It's just really great. I mean, to me, one of the best moments basically is in Doomsday, where Sonic is about is about to take both Power Stones, and Sally wants to go with him, right? You know, and Sonic's like, you know, well, what's what's this, you know, what's this we stuff? And she's like, because I'm going with you. And then when Sonic says, no, Sal, you're going to, and then she hushes him. She puts her hand over his mouth and says, we, she emphasizes this, we are in this together. In other words, she's telling him that you and I are more than just friends. You know, the, this chemistry between this relationship between us is more than just a friendship. And that if you go and die, if you fail and die, then I want to be there with you. That moment right there to me, you know, told everything. That moment to me basically signified, you know, how you know, real and how believable this you know, relationship was between the two and why it became such a fan favorite. That moment right there. And it gets echoed, believe it or not, in 124. You know, it does. In, not 124, but in 125. It, goes, it gets echoed there. Where, you know, Sonic's about to go take off and try to deal with the quantum dial. dial or not quantum dial, but go, you know, take off and go to a new, what is it, new megalopolis or something like that? New Robotropolis. And, um, you know, get into this Giga Prime that Robotnik, uh, Eggman has made to combat the Zorda, the alien Zorda, if you will, which is, which is spelled X-O-D-A. Um, you know, called Giga Prime. And, you know, she, you know, she tells him, but just before he leaves, you know, I want to go with you because I don't want to be, because if you fall in battle, I don't want to be anywhere else but by, but by your side. So, again, it's kind of echoed, you know, very similarly in that issue, which I'm, I'm glad to see. I'm really glad to see. The overall aspect about this relationship is it is, it, it is so, it is so um, beloved by fans and even the writing staff that Ian Flynn, Ian Flynn himself, and this is a fact, Ian Flynn himself took his time, and give credit where it's due, took his time post-Iron Dominion to put these two together. As I've said before, why do you think Sonic, uh, Sally was with uh, Monkey Con? It wasn't because, oh, it's going to be a permanent thing. No, it was a temporary thing done for the story. And also, as we found out, it was meant to help her kind of, you know, in character, realize that, you know, she has to give Sonic a second chance. That she still loves Sonic, and she has to see if he still feels the same way. Is there still something there to salvage after what happened in 134? You know, so, so again, give Ian Flynn credit where it's due. He took his time post Iron Dominion arc from the end of 211, you know, the last, you know, last few pages all the way up to 222 to make this happen. You know, give him credit there, even though he pretty much threw it away later on. And it's like, you know, again, you make, it makes you wonder why did he even go and, you know, go to all that effort if he was going to do that. But if Ian, but if Ian, even if Ian Flynn is willing to do that, then hey, it shows you that even he valued this relationship. He just didn't like the constant bickering between the San Aim and San Sal fans, you know, overall. But in general, though, in general, you know, this this is a very beloved relationship. It really is, and I guarantee you, if he if he is able. I guarantee you this, if he is able down the line, which I believe will be soon, we just don't know when, but I think it's going to be very, very soon, that if he's able to get these characters 
into IDW, whenever that might be, or at least her, I guarantee, I guarantee that he might try. He might try to romance those two together. Because he's already teasing, because uh, uh, he and Evan Stanley and the other team of writers are teasing something between Sonic and Blades. You already got a character, you've just introduced a character in there as the newest member of the Diamond Cutters in Lanolin that is basically very similar in, I guess you could say, attitude, you know, um, as Sally to an extent. Even people are making that comparison, you know, with videos and essays and all that, you know, that I believe, in my opinion, that if he ever gets, you know, her in there, along with the others, that he might try it. He might try a Sonic and Sally relationship, because hopefully enough time has passed to where he can make that a reality. But overall, in closing, there's nothing more, nothing more to be said, you know, about the ship as to why people love it. You know, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those relationships that, you know, it takes the newer generation a lot of research and understanding and viewing and reading to understand, oh, now we see where our, that previous generation is coming from with why the, you know, behind this ship and why they like it. But, yeah, that's all I can really say on it, guys. And let me know what your feelings are on it. And next, on to, and now, on to the next one. All right, so this next one I know might be controversial, but I've always been um, in favor of it since, you know, the beginning. And that's Sunny Gummy and Cubby Gummy. Now, let me explain. You know, first of all, I understand a lot of folks may say that that shouldn't be something that you ship. That they're practically siblings. You know, they lived in the same glen for most of their lives. You know, they're practically siblings. I get that. I get that. I really do. But when you really think about it, though, how many other stories have we had in constant animated and live-action shows and animated and live-action movies to where a potential couple grew up together under the same roof? How many? Plenty, right? Plenty. Probably more than we can name. And that's why I look at Cubby and Sonny. I'm thinking, well... Yeah, they're portrayed like brother and sister, but what if they aged up? What if they got older? You know, what ha- what would happen then? You know, what would occur then? Because again, we don't we don't know how old the characters are. I mean, apparently they're old enough to still want to play with each other. You know, play captain of flag and do this and that. Even though Sunny tries to act, you know, a little older and everything. You know, she tries to act a little older. It's, you know, it's a common thread. I mean, take a look at some of the shows live action wise, you know, in, uh, you know, on television with, with young kids in the cast, you know, as they grew, you know, as they grew up and everything. I mean, for example, I was just watching something on YouTube from E, from E Retro Rewind or whatever they call it, from the True Hollywood Story where they were talking about TGIF. And they talked about one of the first shows they talked about that anchored TGIF was Full House. And how the girls grew up on that show. One of them, of course, being Candace Cameron Bure's character, DJ. And when I looked at DJ, and then, of course, with Jody Sweden's character, Stephanie, and how they grew up and everything, they grew up, and there were times they tried to act older than what they were. You know, they tried to act older than what they were. Now, true, they got to be like that, you know, as time went on. So, you know, know, credit what credit is due. But the truth is there were times in the show where they tried to act older just to make themselves look older or look mature. And Sunny Gummy, in strange comparison, is kind of portrayed in that manner. That she might just be a few years older than Cubby, but she's trying to act older than what she is. And Cubby is the same way. You know, Cubby at times, depending on the situation, will try to act more mature and older than what he is. And sometimes it goes to his head like it would go to her head. I mean, come on. When they, when uh, Sonny, uh, not Sonny, but when Zummy gave them that magic hat that let them turn into whoever they wanted to turn into, you know, they had fun with it. You know, you know, they had fun. They, you know, they didn't try to take it away from each other to be, you know, hey, I'm going to be this way now and everything. No, they had fun. They got along. They, you know, they got along. They played with each other. And to me, it's like, okay, I get it. You know, fan, you know, people will say, well, that's a sibling, sibling-like characters do. That's true. 
That's true. But honestly, if you want to kind of really portray them as siblings, you would have her want to distance herself a little bit more from Cubby. But you didn't do that. You know, you didn't do that. And just like Cubby, you gave her a human companion. And which, oh, by the way, this human companion, Kala, had a thing for Calvin, who was Cubby's best friend. And Kala was Sonny's best friend. So, you see what I'm getting at, guys? You see what I'm getting at? And Because to me, I think, honestly, I think honestly that if they wanted to, and I think, Again, this is just me, me speculating, me theorizing. You know, I think, honestly, Disney probably would have done it. I really do. I think Disney, had they continued the Gummy Bear series, maybe even did a movie as part of the movie tunes thing, like they were planning to do a lot of the Disney afternoon shows, I think they would have aged these characters up, and they probably would have gone there. And to me, even though it's not as, you know, hintable and Easter egged and subtle, very, you know, and very subtle, like let's say Gadget and Dale, you know, um, in Rescue Rangers, I mean, you know, it's obvious that they were planning to go in that direction, in my opinion, you know, with those two. Even though it's not that, in that same manner, let's be honest, guys, let's be honest, you cannot deny that in this day and age, Disney would have done that. Even back then, Disney would have done that. You can't deny it. I mean, the chemistry is there. The groundwork, in my opinion, is set, you know, to to be, you know, to be built upon. The seeds have been planted, to be, you know, to be fertilized on and to be watered and and all that. I mean, e- I mean, everything is in, everything was set in motion, in my opinion. It really was, because you had the moments between them. I mean, what. You know, what episodes outside of, well, a majority of them, but what episodes were, you know, they not paired together? Even in, even in the 11-minute minisodes, if you will, or mini-shorts, you know, uh, excuse me, now, what, what stories did not have them paired together? I'm just saying, excuse me, I'm just saying, you know, what, you know, what, what ones can you think of? I mean, what episodes that are memorable outside of the finale and even the, you know, the uh, first episode, what stories, mini-sode-wise or full-length-wise, you know, did not have them, you know, together? I'm just, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I, you know, I'm just saying, it's like, you, you can't think of one, right? You can't think of one. And in my opinion, in my opinion, you know, the ingredients were there. Just like the right secret ingredients, if you will, that they say they have for gummy berry juice in the show and all that. To me, the secret ingredients were there. The ingredients were there for Valentine. You know, not Valentine, but for, you know, something to be built upon with these characters as they got older. I mean, this is why I think Gusto was brought in. Because Gusto, you know, it's like the, you know, Gusto is kind of like the, the middle ground. You know, he he understands where Cubby's coming from. He understands where Sonny's coming from. So he's kind of like that middle ground, in my opinion. You know, that kind of you know kind of you know kind of gives the adults the understanding of why Sonny's acting this way, why Cubby's acting this way. You know, you know it gives them that middle ground. It really does. You know, it really does, in my opinion. And. To me, I think if they wanted, I think if the idea was to probably, and again, I'm just speculating here, if the idea was to put these two together in the future, had they done a movie or whatever the case was, or even a new series, which I'm sure a lot of people would love to see, I think Gusto would be uh, the de facto, um, what's the one I'm looking for, you know, the, the de facto filter to make it happen. Like, he would be the one that would bridge the gap of, hey, you know, you two obviously care about each other more than, you know, you're letting on, you know, and more than just as, you know, some, you know, siblings, because you're not, you know, why not try to, you know, work something out with each other? You know, he could be that de facto, de facto uh, filter, that de facto middle gummy, if you will, that's needed. But because even even he, in my opinion, if they wanted to write into the story, would see, you know, with an aged up Cubby and an aged up Sonny, that yeah, there's something there between them besides just a friendship or a near siblingship, if you will. 
But, yeah, I think, honestly, this is something that Disney could have, and I believe, I'm just theorizing and speculating, but I have a strong feeling they were planning to do. You know, because, again, remember, they had I, they had plans to go with a movie-tuned theatrical series of movies. You know, they had that plan, you know, in place. They had that plan in place, but they never got to see it get off the ground because of what happened with Treasure of the Lost Lamp. But, in my opinion, had it done it, and in an alternate timeline universe, probably did, I would not be surprised if maybe a Gummy Bear movie put these, put in, you know, aged up the kid, aged up Sonny and Cubby, and they got together. Again, the key thing, in my opinion, the key thing, in my opinion, is the fact that when you look at the fact that the two human friends had a thing for each other, it's like, yeah, who who is Disney think they're kidding? If you're going to, you know, have them paired up as best friends with the two main human characters and Kala and Calvin, then, you know, young, you know, outside of the villain, then why not have them basically, you know, then why not go the next step and have Cubby and Sonny together as they get older? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But to me, that's another pairing I feel, I feel potentially could have been. And if, and, and I feel, in theory, and I feel, in, you know, in my theories and speculation, Disney probably was going to do had they got the opportunity uh, in the past, and they could probably still do here in the future. But what do you think? Because, you know, surprisingly, I'm not the only fan that believes that, believe it or not, if you look at the fan art and everything out there. But enough with that one, because I still, and I do support it, and I suggest you look into what I'm talking about. Let's get on to our last one. So our last one we're going to talk about on this Valentine's Day is Bonkers and Fawn. And yes, this is from Disney's Bonkers cartoon, also from the He's Bonkers uh, shorts on the Raw Tunage broadcast that was on CBS back in 1992, and also was reran on Toon Disney, and became complimentation packages as part of the Bonkers show to fill out the 65 episode requirement. And I'm going to say this honestly. I think this is probably one of the cutest, most adorable uh, romance ships, if you will, in you know any Disney series, any animation series, uh, even today. Because when you think about it, here you have Bonkers, a very hyperactive, very goofy, lovable character. And you know here you have a and here you have him attractive, attracted I should say, in a very wild Tex Avery manner at times, to this girl Fondier, who a lot of people have said, you know, had her design pretty much inspired by not only Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but from other Disney um, classic females, because you could see it too. You could see that her design is inspired not just by Jessica, but also by characters like, let's say, Aurora, you know, Ariel, Belle, in a sense. You know, just by, you know, how she's, you know, designed from head to toe, proportion-wise, and all that. And honestly, can you blame Bonkers for falling for a girl like that? I mean, she's sweet, she's kind, you know, she, you know, she will speak her mind. And we kind of got an example of that a little bit in New Partners on the Block, you know, as well as we kind of got and kind of got a little bit of a hint at her adventurous side in the Bonkers in Space short that was part of the He's Bonkers compilations on raw tunage and, of course, like I said, on the Bonkers series. But you could, but can you blame him though? You know, overall, can you honestly blame him? You know, she's again, she's beautiful, she's sweet, she's kind. You know, she wants to be there for her friends. I mean, she even tells Bonkers after they're fired, you know, that you know they'll stand by him. You know, they'll stand by him. You know, no matter what. And and she's even though she's the last one that gets too napped, even though she's the last one that gets too napped um, by Mister Doodles in the pilot. You know, going bonkers. 
you know, after everyone is seemingly, dis, you know, uh, disappeared or pretty much walked away, she looks back and you. And if you slow it down a little bit, she has this look on her face like this, like she's like she's got this look of anger, like uh, that's about to be, or this look of disappointment or anger on her face, like what, you're like what, what the hell are you guys doing? You abandoning our friend? You know, not realizing that they've been kidnapped. But she has that look on her face, like she's not happy. And you know, you can't blame her for feeling that way at first before she realizes what happens because it happens to her. But, you know, but outside of that, though, you know, you, you can't blame a character like Bonkers for, you know, wanting to be with her because of all that. And most importantly, because she is very attractive. There's no doubt about it. I mean, a lot of people that do fan art of her try to um, give her more of a, not only a personality, because she had a personality. Let's be honest, she did. They just didn't really take advantage of it. But um, you can't blame people for wanting to expand on her and all that. And a lot of people feel that if Disney was to reboot Bonkers, and I've talked about this before as well, they could do a lot with her. They could do a lot more with her. And that's the one thing we've seen with the reboots by Disney, that they will take characters and do a lot more with these characters than initially uh, was utilized in the original show. You know, the show that's rebooted on or based off of. We saw that with Disney's DuckTales. We've seen that, you know, somewhat with the uh, Rescue Ranger movie, if you will, by Lonely Island Boys. You know, they do a lot more. They do a lot more with the characters, and that's very much appreciated. You know, very much appreciated. Um, but you know, when I get down, but when I get down to it myself, I, I've always liked this kind of a ship. I really have because, you know, again, going back to like Shaggy and Daphne, you can't blame Bonkers. You know, he's in love with the girl next door, and it's kind of in, it's kind of implied, if not indicated, it's implied, if not indicated, uh, in the Miranda episodes, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, the majority of them, you know, came out on Disney Channel as part of the spring sneak peek of the show, and then was, you know, merged with the remaining ones that were finished up and ready for syndication that fall. Um, it's pretty much indicated, if not hinted at, that all of them live within the same complex. All of them live within the same apartment complex. You know, Bonkers is in one uh, duplex. You know, Jitters is another. Grumbles is another. And Fawn obviously is probably right next to Bonkers, for all we know. <laughs> you know, being his luck. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much hinted that they all live in the same, you know, in the same duplex, the same, com- you know, the same housing complex, and which is good, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, she, she's a, she's a good, she's a good character. And like I said, her and Bonkers do work well together. They really do. They really do work, work well together. And you could tell that the chemistry, the, the romance, if you will, that they have between each other, isn't just something portrayed in their shorts and everything. Like I said, it's portrayed outside of it, the way she wants to be with him to the end, you know, or stand by him, you know, no matter what they go through after being fired. You know, the fact that, you know, she's the first one to discover a message on one of the empty cans and, and, and everything, you know, and the fact that she's the first one to scold fall apart for for the fact that he screwed up the recipe, you know, after Bonkers you know, sticks a fork in it and now comes a can of peppers, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. And then, of course, you have Casa Bonkers, which I liked. You know, Casa Bonkers, in my opinion, you know, is, you know, one of those episodes to where, you know, yeah, it's a play off Casablanca, there's no doubt, but to me, really is... You know, an episode that even though she was at the beginning and at the end, solidified the fact that these two aren't item in, you know, off cam, you know, on camera and off camera. So I like that. I really did. I really did. And, you know, obviously, obviously it also spilled over to the to the comics, like the Disney Adventure comics, which was a hybrid, honestly, of. You know, of all the bonkers, you know, you know, shows, you know, of the Miranda episodes, the Lucky episodes, it was a, it was a blending, if you will, of all of that, you know, together. It was a blending um, overall, and a lot of people liked that. They really did. You know, they really liked that, that blending, that mishmash, if you will. And one episode, and one uh, story that they did in the Disney Adventures, and I have it. I have that magazine. I do have that magazine somewhere. One mishmash that they did, uh, basically, 
was bonkers. It's called Nose on the Run or something like that. And there's a policeman's ball coming up. So who does bonkers want to ask out? Fondier. You know, and he tries to act cool and everything, but she's more like, why are you acting like somebody you're not? You know, if you're going to ask me out, just ask me out. And when he finally just is like himself and she's, you know, says, okay, you know, would you like to go? And she's like, yeah, sure, no problem. It's like, come on, seriously. You know, seriously, it's like, it, you know, when you have even the comics mishmashing, you know, both entities of bonkers together and one of the stories has, you know, has the viewing of them together as well. It's like, it's like, what more can you say? What more can you say that about about this relationship? And, and you know, but you know, but it, you know, it's a very cute and adorable one. And, uh, and it's a cute and adorable to see that it's something that even you know is not. It, it's even something that's not you know something you just see on camera. You know, in in the continuity of Bonkers, the he's Bonkers, the cartoon shorts that they did before he became a cop, but it's also something that translates over to you know out you know. Um, you know, off camera, basically behind the scenes in real life, you know, if you will. So I love that. I really do love that. So, you know, so to me, I think in closing, this being the last one I'm going to talk about here, this is one that if you haven't, you know, watched Bonkers yet, I suggest you check it out. And my, honestly, in my honest opinion, here's what you do. You go to Disney Plus. If you have Disney Plus, check out Bonkers. Check out Casa Bonkers. Check out New Partners on the Block. And then look up the shorts as well. Look up the pilot. It's going to be in two parts. If you can find the uncut version somewhere, go ahead and do that. I got the uncut version, which I'm really happy about. But if you can just find it, you know, look up that line, you know, and watch the pilot and hear what she has to say there. Um, you get the idea of why these – and again, go and also find the confirmation episodes too. Um, you'll see why the, everybody, you know, like me, likes this, you know, uh, likes this pairing and why they find it cute and adorable, you know, as, you know, because of how it's, you know, not just something in story that's seen on camera in the shorts, but it's also something that happens, you know, off camera. And that's all I'm going to really say on it. So, you know, that's, that's about it. But I do recommend checking it out. And that's pretty much going to do it for this uh, Valentine's Day video. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I know some people may not agree with some of the ships I've come up with, but I think in general, you know, you might agree. You know, everybody has their opinion. Everybody has, you know, the support, you know, for certain ships and everything. But I do recommend checking them out and kind of seeing exactly what I'm talking about and others are talking about to kind of get the idea of, oh, we see where you're coming from, deal. You know, we see where you're coming from. We see what you're talking about. But anyway, though, guys, I hope you all have a good Valentine's Day. If not already had a good Valentine's Day, check me out at rumble.com slash bwroses. You can find me there at rumble.com. You can find me here on YouTube, of course, and everything. And again, I hope you guys all have a good Valentine's Day. Check out my Teespring store, too, for merchandise you can't get anywhere else. And until next time, guys, I'll talk to you all later.